is Rob and welcome back to Directors and Cut. We are a podcast that puts filmmakers from all corners of the globe onto a huge list that covers everything from 90s new queer cinema to 1930s screwball. Then we pick a name from a huge bank of directors to chat about their work through two films. To do so, I am joined by two guest hosts this week, and we'll be talking about something which I'm pretty sure is going to make me persona non grata in the podcasting community. But we'll get a lot in due course, I think. It's following up from last week's episode. I'll just say that. <laughs> and today I am joined by Gav. Hello there. Hello again. Hello again. Um, we need to make sure that today we... um. Keep on the paths, stay off the moors, and beware the moon. There we go. <laughs> and if you if you see a pub and there's Rick Mail there, I think it's your best to jog on. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, also, um, Andy as well. Hello there. Hello. I can't really follow that up because I don't know <laughs> the other movie well enough to quote it. So I was going to try and follow up maybe with something from said movie. But I'm interested to know about what you've said that makes you persona non grata, but I'll be hearing that, well, sure. <laughs> last week I talked about my dislike of uh, Bill Murray. Ah. Yeah, I mean, it, came, it seems that time has made me correct, as things usually do. That's a really smug way of putting it, but I'm staying with <laughs> <at> it. Because <laughs> mm, yeah. he's, uh, yeah, the stories came out that he's, he's yeah, he's not great, is he? Mm, yeah, it seems Apparently not, but hey. Especially as I think we'll kind of maybe come on to later, or maybe you've touched on this already as well. The Saturday Night Live crew can be a wee bit, yeah, touchy, a touchy yeah. subject. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, this is part two. We're following up from two weeks gone, where we looked at um, John Landis. We touched on uh, Thriller, but mainly we talked about. Uh, Oh, here we go. Memory. Memory is a funny beast, isn't it? It uh, certainly is. In the night. and Into the uh, night. Into the night. There we go. It's because it's such an obscure movie, that one. It's it not it like, was. Very obscure. Yeah, and the other one was uh, The Blues Brothers. Another obscure movie. No one's heard of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> never seen it. Still never You've seen never seen it? No. I've seen the, wow. the, the show. You are missing out. The studios in Florida, but I've never seen the movie. Wow. Like, I, I was too bitter after we didn't get to talk Animal House. Right? So. Yeah, I mean, that would have been a fun movie. It's, I mean, let's just use that as an excuse, really. Um, usually at this point, I'd ask what your sort of experience is with uh, John Landis, but that's kind of feeling a bit superfluous, really. So inst- any other movies from his filmography, excluding the two we're talking about today and the two talked about in the uh, previous episode that stand out to you in any way? I don't know. Um. Go on. Andy, how, I went to talk about Animal House, so Animal <clears throat> yeah. House it up. Yeah, so Animal House is one of those ones that I was introduced to by my dad at a young age, probably too young. I think it's maybe a 15, but um, at that age, um, ratings don't really mean much. So that would have been yeah. my first real experience of him. Um, and I absolutely love Animal House. Now it's been a well. Sorry, I'll rephrase that. The last time I watched Animal House, I loved it, and I was talking. You're talking at least five years ago. I used to have it in DVD, and I don't know my DVDs anymore. But I just wonder. I don't know how well it's aged. So that would have been yeah. 1980 Animal House, maybe 78. Yeah. 
I can't, I can't remember yeah, the exact date. Sort of like uh, really early doors. Hockey's era, yeah. Aye, um, and I, from what I remember, I don't remember anything as problematic as certain other parts in those kind of um, early eighties, late seventies comedies. But I could just be painting it in a better light. Um, but that was probably the first time I kind of really. Again, I wouldn't have known it was John Landis. I would have watched Animal House and um, oh, gosh, National yeah. Lampoon's movies like um, Grad. God, I can't even remember the name of another few that I watched. Um, there was a huge wave of them, wasn't there? Sort of like the early to mid eighties. Yeah, it was just super popular. Like yeah. it somehow made Chevy Chase a star, and I don't know how they <laughs> did that to this day. It's <laughs> it's witchcraft, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and it's got uh, John Belushi just being probably yeah. the, the finest I think he's been but again I've not seen Blues Brothers so I can't really comment on his finest performance in terms of that but he's fantastic in it um, and the kind of main the main good guy in it again I can't remember his the actor's name but he was in Van Wilder, National Lampoon's Van Wilder um, It's obviously not uh, Ryan Reynolds, because I no. don't know. I get just the babby. He plays. He plays Van Wilder's dad, and he's the the kind of quiffed guy in Animal House. He plays Van Wilder's dad. But I can't remember his name. I've totally lost me. Um, and so yeah. I should, probably shouldn't have mentioned them because it's pointless. <laughs> but yeah, Animal House, I absolutely love. Um, don't judge me if it's really, really bad in terms of. Wow. Yeah. Term- it's, it's got issues, but I think any film from 1978 probably has got issues. So you, you yeah. probably, you know, especially comedy. I mean, I, yeah. I have talked about it a lot, but I get parkies and those sort of yeah. movies where teenagers are trying to get laid. It's just the way they look at women. It's You look at it now and you think, wow, the 70s sure was a long time ago, wasn't it? Sure was. You could even still see it with things like American Pie in the late 90s. Yeah. Weren't exactly... Yeah. Uh, forward thinking in their views mm-hmm. but again that's uh, American Pie is another one but I, I could go into another five minutes yes. to talk about that it's not as bad as the sequels I'll say that much well that's true yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gav any any other John Landis that stands out for you um, there's three amigos um, which is an amazing for me Steve Martin in that Chevy Chase is in it admittedly but you know we can allow it this time. I mean, that's just a, it's yeah. a brilliant. It's just got some great lines and great set pieces. Um, Martin Short and Steve I'm Martin. I'm not even familiar with that one, I'll be honest. I, 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 I know the poster. I can picture the poster. <laughs> well, that's about it's, give you. it's about three, well, three amigos. They're three um, Marachi singers, and they're on a TV show. Okay. And on the TV show, they kind of like, they say, they, they're like, I like the A team, but. Okay. They're singers, um, and they get a their failing career. They get a letter from a Mexican city saying, "Come and save our city." So they think it's actually a, a gig. So they go down there, and actually, they're, they're signed up to save the city, and it kind of spirals from there. It's ah, so it's kind. Of, what's it called now? I always forget what it's called. I really shouldn't have brought it up when I can't remember the name of it. But, um, <laughs> <sighs> Galaxy Quest as an element of Galaxy Quest uh, to it. Yeah, I guess, but set in the Wild West, yeah. and it's it's. It plays in a lot of Wild West themes, and obviously the the heroes that can't possibly be heroes because they're just actors and all that type of thing. It's it's yeah, it's a good one. Uh, 
obviously that's got Chevy Chase in it. Um, the previous film that Landis had done with Chevy Chase was Spies Like Us, which has got Dan Aykroyd in it. We could talk about that. Mm, yeah. And then <laughs> next film of three movies, he did Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. So, you know, it, he's, yeah. there's this run of films in his career that were just the same people, but they were big movies at the time. I mean, Spies Like Us, three movies, Coming to America. Coming to America, I think made over a billion pounds, yeah. I think. Massive box office. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. successful. Yeah. Just having a check there, he's also done a lot with Michael Jackson. Um, yeah. Don't, yeah. Talk <laughs> don't talk about that. No. <laughs> well, Thrill is an absolutely standout music video. We yes. talked about that last time, but yeah, yeah, I don't know what name. I mean, the idea of knowing who directs a music video, I just find really weird. Mm. It's, it's yeah. not something to think about. It's... It just seems something that you would do as a kind of job for hire guy more than someone a Landis. I think right. he, he became friendly with Michael Jackson. Right. And because okay. he became friendly with them. Mm. Um, and I think it was because Michael Jackson was a big fan of Werewolf that he went, you know, I'd like you to do a film for me that's going to be in the same type of vein. So right, cool. it worked from there. Okay. So uh, that brings us to the move, two movies we're going to be talking about tonight. It is 1981's landmark uh, movie, American Werewolf in London. And um, I've got the wrong tab open, but it should be uh, Trading Places, which isn't 1988. 83. It's 83, so much closer yeah. together. Uh, both star Eddie Murphy, though, so. Yes. I don't think they do. <laughs> American Werewolf in London hasn't got Eddie Murphy in it. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, Trin Places and Coming oh, to America. They're both Eddie Murphy vehicles. I don't know whether they'd be clusters vehicles then. I don't know how big his star was. Trin Places, it in... was to make him a star. Mm. But young mm. By nice coming place. to America, he'd already done Beverly Hills Cop, so he was there. That was the real star-making yeah. uh, Eddie Murphy vehicle. Yeah. Trin Places, I think, yeah. followed um, 48 Hours. Which was yeah, a, that was another a big serious for role for yeah. him. So, Train Place was the show he had comedy as well, because he was a comedian. He'd done stand up for years, and it was to say, you know, I'm actually I'm a comedy actor rather than a serious actor. So let's do that instead. Yeah, let's be fair. He's a poor man's Richard Pryor, <laughs> and let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Train Place is covered. Let's say. <laughs> Can I have a piece of toast? Get the fuck out of here, Jack. Thanks a lot. No, I can't take this. Am I asleep now, awake or what? I realize I don't look so hot, David. But I thought you'd be glad to see me. David! You're hurting my feelings. Hurting your feelings? Has it occurred to you that... It might be unsettling to see you rise from the grave to visit me. Sorry to be upsetting you, David, but I had to come. Aren't you supposed to be buried someplace in New York? Yeah. Your parents came to my funeral. I was surprised at how many people came. Now why should you be surprised? You were a very well-liked person. Yeah, I was, wasn't I? Well, I liked you. Debbie Klein cried a lot. Oh, God, am I asleep now or what? So, so you know what she does? She's so grief-stricken. She runs to find solace in Mark Levine's bed. Mark Levine? An asshole. 
Life mocks me even in death. I'm going completely crazy. David! What? Now, I'm really sorry to be upsetting you, but I have to warn you. Warn me? We were attacked by a werewolf. I'm not listening to this. On the moors, we were attacked by a lycanthrope, a werewolf. I was murdered, an unnatural death. And now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Shut up. The wolf's bloodline must be severed. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. What? Please believe me. You'll kill people. Nurse! Listen to me! Nurse! The supernatural, <laughs> the power of darkness, it's all true. The undead surround me. Have you ever talked to a corpse? It's boring. I'm lonely. Take your life, David. Kill yourself. Before you kill others. Please don't cry. Beware the moon, David. Um, so we'll do it chronologically. Um, so that means American Werewolf in London would be the first of the two. And I think I have to ask one person the synopsis for this because they've said it's one of their favourite movies. So, Gav, what is American Werewolf in London about? Right. Um, it is. This is this is my favourite horror film. Uh, also, has been. Um, basically, two American tourists on a trip around Europe find themselves in Yorkshire. God knows why. But that's where they find themselves. Um, <laughs> on passing by a local pub, the Slaughtered Lamb, there should have been a little clue there for them. Um, they're advised to stay off the moors, beware the moon, um, by a very helpful mm. Brian Glover. Um, and they are find themselves then on the moors, in the middle of the moors, and are attacked by a beast of some sort. Um, after which David, the survivor of the two Americans is flown bizarrely to London because that's where you would go if you were attacked on the Yorkshire Moors. The nearest hospital to Yorkshire, as we all know, is in London. Because, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's an American doesn't understand England, does um, In London, he finds that obviously the beast that attacked him was a werewolf and he turns at the next full moon into a werewolf. The story then continues with him killing, shagging, and eventually killing himself or being killed in order to get rid of the werewolf curse. Absolutely. Typical werewolf um, fodder, basically. I don't think it's typical, but we'll, we'll get to the why yeah, I think that um, in a yeah. bit. But uh, Andy, what do you think of American Werewolf? Um, I am a big fan of it, and it is not one that I regularly rewatch. To be honest, again, we kind of touched on marking an early introduction to Landis with Animal House. And again, Werewolf was one I think my dad probably introduced me, even though he's not a massive horror guy. I think it was just one of those quintessential massive movies from the 80s um, where he would have been prime, the prime age for it when it came out. Um, mm. It's a movie that I was late to, very late to, like I would have been probably in my late 20s before I think I've seen it for the first time. Um, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, 
and you know I, I do love it like it's it's not again it's not one that I always go back to but I, I'm kind of one of these guys that goes back to movies that even if they were a bit shit if I watched them when I was younger I'll still watch them again yeah. um, Matrix Revolutions um, <laughs> so because I kind of discovered this later in life I don't go back to it but I mean it's it's just a masterpiece in a I think practical gore practical effects tight storytelling um what is now certainly more kind of a trope of the what's the the word to describe it the kind of harbinger of doom type thing that you get ten a penny in certain movies nowadays and yeah it's, it's it just stands up incredibly well hmm yes I like it right but I've mellowed on it a lot over the years I'll be honest um, I don't know what I mean. There's, there's great things about it, but we'll get to. But for me, I think it, it, it it's the way it's held up as sort of one of the all-time great comedy horrors. And for me, one of the things that sort of consistently falls down with any sort of John Landis product is they're never funny. He, he has a strange relationship with, with comedy. I think always there's a but there is a there's a dark comedy in this. And there's a there's a heart behind it, and yeah. there's actually a story that holds together. I mean, if you think about the films we watched, we were talking about last time, um, Into mm. the Night. There's there's no real story in that at all that that goes in one direction at the same time. Yeah. And even Blues Brothers is just an excuse to have lots of people singing. Um, but this is this, considering where it is in sort of his filmography. It's only about his fourth or fifth film that he made. Um, it's a a really good entry into his films. Um, he's got, it's got yeah. a proper story. It's got a proper heart to it. There are some lovely comedy moments, even if you think it's not funny. There are some comedy moments that make you. Well, it, it's not funny in the way where I laugh. No, it's 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 very <laughs> it's a horrible. Way it's very black. It. <laughs> I mean, it's very dark. The comedy and the fact that someone's being killed out in the field, and the guy pops out the window and goes, "The vandals are back in the park, darling." It's like. You know, it's not, it's not funny, funny, but it's funny. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I kind of that's my one aspect that I don't really kind of go with it. Like for me, comedy horror or horror comedy, where there's a difference between the way you would word and describe it. I think immediately something like Shaun of mm. the Dead or Hot Fuzz, which have laugh out loud moments, and even. Uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, yeah. which is com- I would say that's comedy horror instead of horror comedy, yeah. if you get what I mean. And yeah, yeah. So for this, uh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm maybe leaning a wee bit more towards Rob. Like I don't particularly find it f- funny, ha ha, and I don't find any certain as uh, Gav as you're saying, there's certain kind of moments in it that are like. The vandals are back again. You're sitting, kind of just laughing at the guy going off. You're fine, kind of thing, knowing what's coming. Yeah. But yeah, the, the kind of comedy side of it, I think, is probably the weakest part of it for me overall. I don't know if it was it ever actually yeah. sold as a comedy. I mean, I know the later really, on it's it was, kind of posthumously, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's. I think. Yeah. Landis wants to be a comedy director, um, which you know, you look through his films, he's done a lot of comedy stuff, and up to this point, he'd only done comedy stuff. Um, yeah. So he wants to have something in there that's a bit funny. 
And if it is just a couple of throwaway lines, that's what it is, a couple of throwaway lines. Um, I mean, it's I personally, it's one of the great werewolf films of all time. It reinvented the werewolf. You know, it's the first time we've got a werewolf on yeah. all fours instead of a man walking around with his trousers on and just a bit of hair. Um, you've got that am- amazing <laughs> transformation scene that Rick Baker's done to, you know, transforming the wolf. And it's a good, what is it, about eight, ten minutes of transformation that he, he has turning into a wolf where you hear the yeah. bones crack, yeah, his fingers extend. It's far. mental. It's, it was... It, it was just sort of cut away, and then it's just sort of a hairy Geordie on a yeah. night out, you know. Because <laughs> the gag there, international listeners, is Geordie's a night out. They always have the shirts off. Yeah. Always. always. <laughs> and they're all hairy. <laughs> yeah, and this, that, those movies are just that, basically. And, and a Geordie is somebody from Newcastle. <laughs> I'm explaining jokes, which makes them really funny, doesn't it? <laughs> Adds to the comedy. That's Always. what you would call a comedy discussion, but or a discussion comedy, I'm not too sure. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, before, I mean that, that sequence, it's, it's very long. Yeah. Maybe too long, but you can't discount the fact that it is outstanding and it made like a transformation look really painful. Yeah. Especially when you consider that you know, like the, this is before any CGI or anything like this, this is all practical, um, like uh, latex yeah. and uh, rubber and all sorts of things. I don't know the, the ins and outs. I'm not Dan Martin. I don't know all the sort of you know. Uh, well, there's some simple stuff, whatever, in it, really you know. simple stuff. You know, the hair growing out. They just that film reversed. They had the hair through the latex. And they pulled it backwards and then they've reversed it, so it looks like the hair's coming out. So. Oh, such a basic simple trick. stuff like that, but it's yeah, it's it's quite think, incredible. It's it's obviously like a a master of physical effects, but I think it editing as well. Yeah, adds to the way it's edited. Like it could have been, if it had been kind of shoddily cut, it wouldn't have had the same effect yeah. either. And just it's all working really well together in that scene. Yeah, yeah. There's um, how would I put it? Let's just talk about the werewolf, I think, in this. Yeah. Like, how it uses the werewolf, because I think it, as well as it being revolutionary, also hasn't really been repeated. There's, like, there's so many things in this which it established sort of, like, a new mythology for yeah. werewolves. Like, the idea that whoever been bitten by a certain werewolf or turned by a certain werewolf would stay as a ghost and yeah. haunt that person until they died. Yeah. Uh, little bits like that, it's... It takes some bold swings, and I don't think I've seen them in any sort of werewolf adjacent thing no. since. It, it was in, introducing really? sort of zombies almost to the werewolf mythology. I know they're not because they're they're not. Nobody else can see them; they don't exist. They're ghosts. But the fact that these corpses that are appearing are, are rotting alongside them—they're not. People don't stay as they were; they stay how they were when they attack after their attacks, and then they start to rot as well. I mean. That the effects yeah. on the he's made <laughs> get fairly gruesome or worse as they go through. Yeah, yeah, Griffin. Yeah, done, his yeah. final yeah. time he pops up, he's not even there. Is he? It's a puppet of a skull that's just got bits of sinews still hanging off it. So, it's, uh... <laughs> try to think about the other werewolf movies I've seen. Then, I mean, you're talking wolf, uh, yeah. dog soldiers, werewolves within. There's nothing really that. It's, yeah, as you're saying, Rob, there's yeah. nothing similar to that style. It's very unique in that kind of take on mm. it. 
the Which, afterlife style of it. It's surprising, really, considering how influential mm. it is. Well, I don't think you'd have things like Dog Soldiers, certainly, where all the wolves are on all fours without. I don't think like this. there'd be such a, such a thing as the werewolf movie without it, honestly, yeah. because... I mean, I'm a bigger fan of the howling. Yeah, I knew that, <laughs> but that's like tomato tomato. You know, I mean, the, uh, it doesn't really matter. They're both good yeah. movies, but without American Werewolf, it's it basically is the werewolf movie. That's the one that everything else is held yeah. up to. Yeah, and yet for it to influence none of them in the side of the mechanics of how the werewolves work, it's I've always found that really it, weird. It, I'll be it honest, it is. It's a bit strange because they're. The mythology they create around it follows in from, I guess, the monster movies of Universal in that, you know, you get bitten by a werewolf, you turn into a werewolf, and it's based on the moon and silver bullets to kill you, all that type of thing is the same. Mm. Um, but they added the new element of you actually turn into a wolf, not a wolf man, you turn into a wolf. And yeah. this weird thing of your victims come back to haunt you, and anyone who happened to be killed at the same time as you come back as well, which is a strange thing. But yeah. Yeah, it almost kind of it adds to the, the curse aspect, doesn't it? It's more more of a kind of link to that than just the, the the kind of basic concept of you get bit and you are the next in line. It adds to the, the, the curse is kind of uh, increased sort of tenfold. Yeah. By this this element of it, yeah, the curse isn't just on the werewolf; it's on all his victims. All his victims are now having to stay around mm. in the, the living world, rotting away, and wanting him to, as they keep saying, "Kill yourself, David." So, yeah, yeah. and the makeup is uh, outstanding. Yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say about that sequence is it kind of comes out of nowhere, really, doesn't it? Which he's just watching TV. <laughs> And then he turns into a werewolf. <laughs> what what happens there? I'm not quite sure. The moon comes out. It's all it's all affected by the full moon. I'm sure it does not cut the full moon just before he's watching telly, and then you see the moon, and then it goes back to him. Yeah, he's just screaming in yeah. pain. <laughs> yeah, gets very hot. Yeah, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, like I try to think of another any other werewolf transformations that really have that effect that show the pain that people go through again. It's not something... It's quite oh, instantaneous, or they'll just rip their skin off. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. The, the, the howling, the original howling, is the only sort of alternative where that, like, the, the skin bubbles yeah. and pops and stretches. Yeah. But, the, um, even game I played recently, the quarry, they just kind of... The skin bursts, and that's the change, and that's kind of it. Like, there's no... There's just, like, an instant pop. Yeah. And... Yeah, because this was the thing that made that an idea, wasn't it? Like the whole reason why anybody watches a werewolf movie is go on, then let's see if transformation, yeah. let's see what's going yeah. on here. Can you do the same yeah. as Landis had done? It's a bit reductive, but at the same time, it's 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 inspired an entire genre, really. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, interesting. Um. One thing I really like about this, it's part of my favourite subgenre, which is Americans don't understand England. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Scotland in the case of uh, Under the Skin, where, you know, Scott Johansson comes to Scotland and he just doesn't get it. Yeah. 
it's but well, this is this was the first one so we'll talk about this but yeah um that's funny to me i think yeah because it's that sort of culture clash isn't it we're always thought of sort of the 50 whatever state and which is so very very different and we get these two very very american yeah. boys who go to yorkshire because it's god's county damn it <laughs> <laughs> and um, this weird pub, I mean, it may as well have said the red lion outside. It was that much of a red yeah. flag. And there's another English gag for you that I'm not <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll explain. No, don't, don't. <laughs> just leave it. Leave it. <laughs> we don't, I don't get red lions. Is that a thing? It's, it's basically, it's the most popular pub name in England. And if you want to go to a town pub, which has all of the racists, go to a pub called yeah. the red lion. Pretty much. <laughs> we have a red line in Glasgow. I assume not. I should <laughs> hope not. I mean, we have plenty of racist places, but certainly not a red line. Spread her out more liberally. But yeah, the, the, the go, it's that idea to go to a pub in the middle of nowhere in the Moors. Yeah. And yeah, it's just that sort of Western archetype, isn't it? Of going into a pub and all the locals look yep. at them. Sound goes off. It's yep. full of that. It is full of the, all that sort of. In, uh, Americans don't get the UK, and I think it's just absolutely delightful. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, I was just had another thought of another one, uh, Wolf Manor, which I've watched recently, and that has the exact similar type of a uh, trope again of the suspicious locals yeah. who don't want to tell you where to go. And yeah, it, it works great in this, especially with the background of the pissing down rain. Yeah, it's just a. Perfect setup. Um, that pub feels cold as well. Yeah. Like it's like uh, I think a, a stereotype for Americans coming over to the UK and going to a pub like that would be you get out the cold, you get in with a warm fire, pine chips, shit like that. And this is no. just it, you walk in there and you feel like you can probably hear a leaky pipe, and your paint's going to be cloudy, and it's just going to be horrible in general. Like it just looks like a proper. Proper skate hole. Yeah. Hmm. It is, absolutely. Um what else is there about American Werewolf? It's such a rich movie, I think. Um but it's Yeah, I mean it, it is. There's there's lots goes on it. I mean you've got you've got your um cameos, you've got obviously got Rick Mail in there. Oh, he was just a, a baby in this, yeah, though, wasn't he? He must have been really But young. there's a story behind it, as there is with everything. He was um he was playing in London. Yeah. The night before, with Aid Edmondson doing their Dangerous Brothers, because that was what they were doing at the time. Landis saw them. I haven't even heard of that. Well, Landis saw them and, and just said, "You know, do you want the two of you want to be in a film? You're really funny." Um, Aid Edmondson just got drunk and decided not to turn up. Rick Mail turned up in Yorkshire the Aww. next day, and that's it. He was in the film. That you see, that's not how I pictured that. I'd always assumed that Rick Mail was the more drunk of the two. No, I think Aid's definitely was the the one that was drinking at that time a lot more, um, but. Yeah, he apparently just oh, didn't wow. believe this guy was a director because how can this guy be a director? So I will not turn up. And <laughs> Rick did turn up, and there he goes. He's it. He's in it. So immortalized as a seventeen-year-old yeah. or something because he does look very young in this. He looks out of place in this pub as yeah. well. Um, yeah. And there's all sorts of things established in this pub, like the is it a pentagram? Yes. I can't remember. Like pentagram on the wall. Drawn yeah. on the wall. Yeah. Which is just such a weird little detail as well. It's it's all world building, I think. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really have a world to build into because, as we all know, American Werewolf in Paris oh, doesn't God. exist. 
<laughs> never seen it, thankfully. I, I never will watch it because I value my time. Don't, don't ever watch Even it. Even though I've just said I watched Matrix Revolutions. If you get the chance to watch it, don't. Just don't. Oh. Yeah. Kind of up there with like Ameri- uh, American, uh, Escape from LA and things like that, isn't it? Like oh, the sequels yeah. that shouldn't have been made. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else about um, American Werewolf that I've really like to bring up though before we well, uh, move on? You were saying about the, the pub being cold. It's because it's not a pub. It's there was some cottage they found just sitting somewhere in the middle of nowhere. So it's well, that's basically what those pubs are yeah. in those like towns where it's like three houses, a post office, and yeah. a pub. Um, the interior is then somewhere completely different. So the interior right, okay. was filled somewhere else, and the cottage was the outside of it. But I mean this. Right. The thing you got to bring up was the the whole dream sequence stuff between sort of oh, Yorkshire Moors yeah. and then here in London we have all those wonderful dream sequences that I I don't know I think they were just Landis going what can I do that's going to be a bit different because yeah. there's no need for them at all but they're brilliant that the Nazi wolf things that <laughs> attack the dinner table is just it's an unbelievable scene um uh, scarred generations of people that yeah. it's yeah. So, what what is the reason behind the, the kind of Nazi werewolves? Why is it Nazis? Is it just is is, is like his family aren't meant to be Jewish in it? Are they? Uh, are I they Jewish? Don't is that a link with it? I don't think that's. Exp- it, just, it just seems like maybe there'd be a reason, like but just it's totally random. Two really bad things: Nazis and werewolves. But yeah, I don't think it's explicitly said anywhere right. that they are Jewish. But you know, <laughs> maybe yeah. they are. One, one really uh, no, sorry, one really cool thing, and and Nazis. <laughs> just, be, just be straight. <laughs> no, no, I said bad things. Two bad things: oh, werewolves, right. Nazis. I never said Nazis were cool. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to address that. I'm just going to move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> only issue I think that my main my main issue with I feel at the end feels a little bit rushed. I could have done maybe a bit longer. Abrupt, yeah. Yeah, abrupt, abrupt. yeah, not rushed, but abrupt. Almost like, but I mean, it, would I rather that or they had then continued on after for a little bit? I don't know, but it just yeah. feels very, right, here we go, we've got an end and we need to stop now. But at the same time, one thing I've noticed through watching these movies from John Landis is he does not know how to get to the point. His movies are long. Yeah. Like right. really long movies, uh-huh. and this is about ninety minutes. Yeah, similar. It is. Yeah, it's just over an hour and a half, isn't it? Yeah. So it really gets it to the point. I mean, it is abrupt, and it does. The ending just kind of comes out of yeah. nowhere. But it's a great ending, and um, I appreciate the fact that it just gets to the point. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, yeah, because the ending is is weird, and it's it's such a ambitious ending as well there's the porno theatre the, the transformation in the porno theatre and he just absolutely wrecks havoc in um, sort of very very central London which obviously it's some sort of substitute I, I'm not going to delve into sort of the mechanics no no but- they closed they closed a, a square in London it was a closed set it was proper street it is proper street yeah really, yeah. really? The, the, the porno theatre oh, wasn't a porno theatre at the time um, it was a I think it was a show club. So it was like girls, girls, girls club. Uh, it wasn't a theatre, but yeah. it's a real place. It's still there now. I think it's a cinema now. Um, yeah, I was amazed when I found out that porno theatres were actually a real thing. Yeah. I found one when I got lost in Birmingham before. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> you didn't grin, did you? <laughs> you found one when you get lost in Birmingham. Yeah. I'm winking to the camera. <laughs> I was lost in Birmingham. Yeah. Was this before Google Maps? Eh? 
yes. <laughs> and obviously, the porno theatre brings us back to the second use of See You Next Tuesday, See You Next Wednesday, as a porn film in Orlando's film. Because okay. obviously, it was the, oh, yeah. the porn film in, in a Kentucky Fried Movie. And now, See You Next Wednesday gets mm. appearing as a porn film again in the porn theatre. Yeah, but that ending. Um, I think it's just as a spectacle, it's really, really impressive. Yes. Um, they really do hold nothing back there. It's a little bit weird the way it, it, uh, the police are effective. I will say that. Apart from one whose head <laughs> thunk thunks on the bonnets of the cars, because that's not very effective. <laughs> oh, no, no. When they sort of like narrow it down into a uh, alley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just really bad policing where they have a nurse. I mean, an entire generation, I assume, fell in love with Jenna Yagata off the back of this. Would have thought so, yeah. Yeah. Um, just the police say, oh, okay, you can talk to this wild rabbit yeah. animal for a minute. That's absolutely fine. We can see nothing potentially going wrong here. <laughs> Which, is that not just <laughs> harking back to the Universal Horrors Wolfman stories where, you know, the wolf has fallen in love with the woman or that the man who is the wolf has fallen the wolf of the one the one's trying to get him back from being a beast, and they use the same trope there. And yeah, yeah it's a, it's a yeah, trope, the, yeah, but it's just it, the it's, ending is typical of werewolf movies that came before this, where the end is mm-hmm. we kill the wolf, and that's it. End of story. There's, yeah. The yeah. curse is broken. It's lifted. Everyone's okay, except for the guy who happened to be turning into a wolf. Yeah, <laughs> and the guy got his head locked yeah. off. <laughs> and the poor wolf that he slept with in the zoo. <laughs> yeah. Do we know for sure he slept with a wolf in the zoo? <laughs> well, it's implied <laughs> quite heavily, I think. Oh, there's longing looks that, um, <laughs> one of the wolves. The um, yeah, the, the police are also very, very sure of their aim yeah. in there because Jenny, I stand there right in the way. <laughs> It's like, oh, oh we'll be, she'll be all right. It'll be fine. Nothing will ricochet off a bin. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really narrow alley, but it'll be okay. <laughs> she'll be fine, doesn't she? Yeah, fuck it. Go for I think it. it. It's another one of those things in film where sometimes it's best not to think about it. You know, the fact that a nurse has been allowed <laughs> to take the patient home for recuperation, that's a bit dodgy in itself. The fact that they flew him to London from the Yorkshire Moors when he was attacked, that's a bit dodgy. Um, I mean, yeah, there's like Sheffield and you know yeah, Leeds around yeah. there, so easily. And York, they've got all, all got hospitals, amazingly. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but I guess an American wealth from Leeds wouldn't quite have the same ring to it, would it? <laughs> well, no, no. It plays into that whole idea, doesn't it? How Americans think that uh, all of the UK is yeah. London. Yeah, I guess that's why they, they did it. And also, of course, it then led them yeah. up to having a sequel in another capital from another European city. <laughs> I don't know the mechanics or the history of that sequel, but it's not a John Landis not, movie, no. so I'm assuming it was just a studio-owned property, yeah. which they wanted to cash in on the success of, because that wasn't until the 90s or oh, early It was a long time or? afterwards. The, um, the basic story is Judy that Delphi, David it? has uh, a child with Jenny, Agatha's character. Um, she, they then move to Paris when they work out that the child is actually a werewolf. And the curse continues in Paris. So the the werewolf in there is actually not an American werewolf, but an English American werewolf in Paris. That's it. They did the same with the fly. Then yeah. David Cronenberg's the fly. Yeah. They had fly two and probably fly three. Son of fly. It's it's the lazy way yeah. out of Except 
these sort of conclusively ending horror yeah. movies. The problem yeah. was that we were messing with um, CGI at the time. It's very early CGI, and the, all the wolves in it are oh, yeah. CGI. The transformation scenes, CGI, it's just, it's not good. Not good. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything that you'd like to bring up, uh, Andy? Uh, no, I think we've we kind done. of touched on the main points yeah the, I mean the Nazi werewolf bits <laughs> probably the highlight for me um, the transformation still holds up yeah it's just a, a great movie mm-hmm. hmm. the Howling, Howling's still a better transformation <laughs> I'll, I'll die on that hill I know it's I'm fighting against the the, the tide here but I will die on that hill <sighs> that, each to their own. I'm not going to argue with you because you're wrong there's I no point know. in arguing with you it, it, well, there is no definitive right answer. I mean, it, those two are, I think, like heads in a way, the best werewolf transformations ever. I'd say Company of Wolves is a very, very different style of transformation because it's got sort of the snout yeah. uh, pointing through somebody's mouth and sort of transforming that way, which I think is really cool. Yeah. But yeah. What I'm about to... uh, Hugh Jackman and Van Helsing? Oh, come on, be <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing something in there. <laughs> We've had some complaints about con men pretending to be blind and uh, crippled. Oh, I'd love to help you, man, but I ain't seen nothing since I stepped on that landmine in Viet Cong back in 72. It was rough. Very painful. You were in Nam? So were we. Where? Um, I was in um, Sang Bang, Dangon. Uh, uh, I was all over that place, basically. A lot of places. A lot of places. What unit were you in? Uh, I was with the Green Beret, a uh, special unit battalion, uh, commando, airborne tactics, specialist tactics uh, unit battalion. Yeah, it was real hush-hush. I was Agent Orange, that was my name, Agent Orange, special Agent Orange, that was me. Airborne, huh? leads us to the second film, uh, 1983's Trading Places. Um, Andy, you want to take a swing at the uh, synopsis for this one? Uh, yeah, I can do. Um, so two brothers essentially set up a bet with each other that they can turn a guy who's down on his luck into... <clears throat> a wealthy investor and turn a wealthy investor into a guy who's down on his luck. Um, Eddie Murphy's character is the say down on his luck. He's the con man. They want to turn him into a. They want to turn the con man into an investor and the kind of Wall Street investor guy into a homeless, uh, trodden, downtrodden. Schmo. Schmo, is that right? I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. Rich guy into a poor guy, poor guy into a rich guy. Yeah. And all the hilarity that ensues with that. Um, it's a, a really frustrating movie because I hate the two 
brothers that are in it, which you're meant to do. And the Dukes, I think. Yeah. yeah, the Dukes, that's what they're called. They're such a prominent part in it. I hated them so much. Um, I've had my Tory rant off screen, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and they, they, they are totally Tory donors, though. That's, that's all we'll say on, on air. On Mike, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, they. I mean, they're Rupert Murdoch, but maybe less uh, evil. Um, and that is what happens to Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd as they're going through this kind of changing fortunes, um, culminating in some questionable, uh, a questionable set piece near the end that turns yes. up on its head. A questionable set piece that I think everybody who's ever seen it forgot forgets is in it until they watch it again. You thought, wow, this is yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. And I'm terrible at synopsizing movies, so that's probably as good as you'll get for me, sorry. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Um, Gav, what do you think of trading places? Uh, I, I did I just time or of its time, it's it's a it's a classic comedy when it it's basically it's Prince and the Pauper, isn't it? Um with elements of Pygmalion mm. stuck in there for good measure. It's it is. It's about a, a guy who's down in his luck who gets swapped around to become a rich guy um for a one dollar bet. Uh it's got some really funny moments in it. It's a funny film. It's showing that I suppose it is the film that made Eddie Murphy into a comedy star. He was already doing stand up. Yes. This was his big break in it, a comedy film. And it does, it uses that comedy there, and also then reuses Dan Aykroyd, uh, proving that he could do comic acting as well, um, and brilliantly uses yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis in the mix just to to mess things up in a role that. Well, she's um, her and Denim Elliott, who plays the uh, the yeah. butler, are the standouts in yeah. this. I think, yeah, very much so. Um, but just to sort of follow one up from last episode, where I sort of highlighted that I don't really like Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> And I'm, I swear it's not just a thing against ex-members of Ghostbusters. Um, I have no problem with the other two All right, so it's just those two Ghostbusters. Yeah, absolutely fine. It's just, just Bill and Dan. Two. Just Bill and Dan, yeah, don't like them. And I think with Bill, Dan Aykroyd, though, I don't know, it's just there's something about him where I never really buy him in any role he's ever been in. It's just... He's a little bit too wink-wink at the camera, if yeah. you know what I mean. He's a little bit too sort of proto... I know it's much worse now, but the sort of characters that Ryan Reynolds plays where he's very, very snarky. Mm. This is sort of like his sort of roles are all sort of cr- like crude proto versions of that, and I just really don't like him, honestly. I think it comes from his, his television background, doesn't it? You know, Saturday Night Live was where he started off, and he did all the stuff with them. He was, he was really well-known in America from that point of view, so... Yeah, if he was better at it, I don't want to have a problem, but he's just not. He's... Pretty bad. Yeah, I think it's the, the script never called for him to be doing what he was then doing. So he was ad libbing his wink winks to the camera places that didn't need it. Yeah. So that's why it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I mean, I love him in Ghostbusters, yeah. the first one especially. But in this, yeah, I mean, he plays an insufferable yeah. guy who doesn't really learn his lesson. Um, Not in the no. slightest. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. There's no like uh, understanding of his the situation he's been in and having a, a newfound respect for the man on the street. It's not really about that. It's about making sure the rich stay rich. Um, apart from the two, the two dukes are the only two that really kind of 
Mm. Um, so in this, and he is massively insufferable in it. But I mean, he's meant to be. I don't think there's a, a redeeming. I don't know if there's a redeeming person in the whole movie. Maybe Jamie Lee Curtis, but because she's Jamie Lee Curtis and she's really good, not necessarily that her character's great. Um, like. I mean, in this, she's more famous for taking a top off than her actual yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she is really good in it, though. Um, the butler as well is—he's someone else that doesn't, again, doesn't really learn. He totally comes in on the on the bet with the dukes, and he signs up for it, and is happy to carry it on until really the last possible moment where Winthorpe is I mean, close to. Death, <laughs> like he's really willing to take it as far as it will go until Eddie Murphy takes the high ground to an extent. Oh, yeah, I mean, even Eddie Murphy's character doesn't really learn anything, does he? I mean, he starts off as a rich guy, now he's a not as a poor guy, sorry, who's like doing sort of very, very Eddie Murphy things, like yeah. he's pretending to be a Vietnam yeah. vet, he's had his legs blown off and he's blind, and he's you know playing it up like his characters usually do, which is yeah. fine, you know, when it works. I think it really works in sort of a, what's that movie called? We'll mention it earlier. Uh, no. Beverly Hills yeah. Cop. It really works in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. And it works here too, but the character just doesn't learn. He just, instead of being poor, he's now rich and that's it. Yeah. He, and essentially the last act is a big con. Like, it's the worst of both worlds is how the movie ends. Um, and I, obviously it ends with a, some, stock thing happening I totally went over my head what they were doing so I googled it, it, it was mine as well yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I, I, I googled what they done still didn't understand it but apparently they made 230 million in today's money really what wow. they done there yeah 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 because like 80,000 I think Eddie Murphy's salary is 80,000 which works out about 260,000 these money, wow. um, I, I think pennies compared to what those people are playing now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But the the yeah, they essentially win. They, or they essentially make two hundred and thirty million off a short selling or something. But then it, it kind of then cuts again as we're talking about the butler. The butler is part of their clique yeah. now, and now he's stinking rich, and he's just ordering someone else yeah. about on this private island or something. They're just, yeah. <laughs> it's like a weird, weird moral. I mean, that's the eighties, though, isn't it? That was the decade where greed is yeah. good. But I mean, all yeah. of and, the, and this is playing into all that sort of mythology and uh, ideology, yeah. isn't it? It's all. I mean, the, the the ending of it, it's it's revenge, isn't it? Because the the two guys that made the original bet end up being on the streets and down and out. So they just turned it around to go, yeah. you know, you've done this to us. Now we're going to do exactly the same to you, but we're going to be rich. And but yeah, nobody learns anything. It's just a revenge thing no. that they plot this way of getting rid of those two guys and making themselves rich. So mm. yeah, yeah. I think it's it's probably yeah. it's not really Landis's fault that one. I think it's badly written more than anything else. Um, you know, right. you take yeah, it's quite unclear, take something yeah. classic like Princeton Pauper and try and rewrite it in a modern day setting, and it, it's never really going to work. Probably, I suppose. Sometimes you hit every mark and it'll work perfectly, and other times it doesn't. Yeah, I think this is at the end of the day. This is primarily, primarily sorry, um, a vehicle for Eddie yeah. Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. And there was a lot. I mean, even at this day, there's uh, that rife of like the comedy world. I mean, Will Ferrell wouldn't have a career if it was on the basis of his like, acting and his ability. It's just they're all vehicles for his his 
Oh, terrible work. Yes. I'm not going to mention anything about him. <laughs> Your feelings are yeah, Bill Murray, Michael good- Farrell. <laughs> He has some good movies, but he has way, 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 way more bad could, ones. Could you mention any of his good movies now? Because I can't think of a single one. Anchorman, Step Brothers. Yeah, that's it about Anchorman and Step Brothers. No, I think, they weren't funny. <laughs> <laughs> if you mention Elf, I'll kill you. <laughs> no, no, I'd never mention oh, Elf. Elf. What about Elf? I'll never mention. The other um, guys is okay. Like the other guys, but more for how how dumb Mark Wahlberg is it, and it is in it. Yeah, well, yeah. um, don't play no shit. I think um, with this movie, I, 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 we've talked about it and we hinted at it, but we have to kind of tackle it, really, don't we? It's the plan. Mm. The plan. This is such a weird era. Looking back at it, we're in an era where you know equality is really championed and. Uh, we're in a great sort of spot for talking about people's rights. And then you go back to the eighties <laughs> and they have comedy racism. Yeah. The whole plan is essentially the three of them, four of them being racist. The four. Yeah. If you're all like the Dan Aykroyd, oh my, I mean the blackface. Yeah, I mean, Denim Elliott comes in and he pretends to be Irish. I mean, I don't think he's heard an Irish person before. It's not a good Irish accent. He's an Irish priest who drinks a lot. Yeah, Yeah. I wonder. Um, Eddie Murphy is, I think, a Cameroonian prince. Yep, yep. I'm sure he did his research there and knows all about Cameroonian culture. Absolutely, Absolutely. he does. As he probably did for coming in America Um, a little bit later, yeah. Yeah. even Jimmy Lee Curtis is Jimmy Lee Curtis is Swedish. Well, like that, yeah. She, she says she, she's Swedish, but she's clearly Swiss or Austrian. <laughs> she's dropping in all yeah. sorts of German terminology. You take a weird yeah. sort of thing. And then you think, uh, it's just sort of car. It's, it's not bad racism. It's sort of <laughs> under the belly racism, the sort of insidious racism that nobody really feels the sort of shout out about because it's so petty. And then Dan Aykroyd yeah. walks in. <laughs> As a rasta, yeah, with blackface and dreadlocks on, and yeah, and a massive joint. Yeah, don't forget the massive joint. See, stop, stop the press. That's wow. I've seen this a few times, and I think every time I've watched it, I just sort of like scrub that from my memory. Possibly, but in '83, it was perfectly acceptable. Nobody questioned it. It was. Oh yeah, it was. It was. Um, I mean. 86, Soul Man came out, which is about a white guy who turns himself black to get into college. You know, it. it is that what yeah. that's about? <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> I didn't know that. It basically takes tablets to change the color of his skin in order to get into college on a scholarship that you can only get if you're black. So, you know, that's three years later. The 80s, uh, the, the really 80s was very, wild. very different times. You know, as someone who I'm a lot older than you guys, um, I, and I grew up in the 80s, and things like that were on television all the time. It was perfectly normal to see this type of thing. Now, the black and white minstrels weren't off the television long in the 1980s, which was totally acceptable Saturday night viewing in the UK. So, I mean, I it, it's not right by any means, but back then, it was acceptable, so I don't know. It's a difficult one. Yeah, 
it's that sort of line, isn't it? I mean, you should always look at a movie with the eyes yeah. of the time rival and the eyes of now because that, there's so many people who watch, like, I don't know, a silent movie and they say, oh, it's so old-fashioned, it's boring, yeah. it's, nobody talks. But if you walk, look at it with the eyes of the time, it's revolutionary. Yeah. Um, same here. I mean, at the age of the time, I mean, imagine this was very, very yeah. funny, but with 2023 eyes, it's skin Oh, crawling. yeah, you watch it now and you, you do feel like just speeding that bit up. And, but we'll just not watch this bit. It's okay. Um, I mean, but- even, even the 90s allowed for it as well. Like, you still remember getting certain characters that you would send away with through Jars of Marmalade and you would get yeah. toys and fridge magnets yeah. to, I can't remember the exact name of the company um, you had Little Britain yeah. still yeah. doing it in the late 90s early noughts yeah. um, eh, I don't know when Badil done his infamous oh he thing. got he um, dragged over the calls to what he did didn't he uh, yeah. yeah, and and then you're seeing the generation kind of after us now looking at like, Tropic Thunder yeah that's true and Tropic Thunder, and we all turn, I turn around and say, no, but he's doing that because he's meant to be so ridiculous and so stupid for what he's doing. But the generation below us are going, no, that's just racist. And you go... But it's like a dual-layered gag layer, isn't it? Because he takes it all off <laughs> and he, he's doing Australian accent. Aye, but it's like, it's... Yeah, it's a different level of looking at things through a different scope, I think. But it is still really bad to see with that accent. Yeah. It's that it's back to that thing of, you know, Amazon is starting to put before a lot of their TV shows and films that are of that age, a little disclaimer at the start to say, you know, this is a film of this particular time. It may contain scenes that are now classed as offensive. Is that the yeah, best way of dealing with this? It's, you know, at the time this was okay. Now it seems offensive. So watch it at your peril sort of thing. Or do you cut mm-hmm. elements out of the film to make it so it's acceptable? Because if you cut that scene, Completely, none of it makes sense even at all. You've yeah. got the plans gone completely, and you've got something that just ends abruptly, or suddenly they're rich for no good reason. Yeah, and I think yeah, and as you're saying, I like Disney do that as yeah. well, don't they? They like, I mean, they don't show Song in the South at all, rightfully, um, and things like Dumbo, which I think Dumbo's probably one of their worst. The yeah, the uh, the crows, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the crows, and then the start they've got like. Um, the people working in the circus when it's like faceless black yeah. guys are working, singing about how they can't read or write. Um, What's the other one? Um, it's the one with the cats. Uh, the Disney movie with the cats. I can't oh, remember yeah. the name of it. Lady and the Tramp. Oh, no, 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 that one. I mean, that, that, that Arrest Lady the Cats and, the and Lady and the yeah. Tramp both, uh, are, both have really, really bad sort of Chinese yeah. sort of racist uh, jabs. They're quite late on them, Like, they're not even. Like 30s, 40s Disney, where you can maybe say that ah, it's the Siamese cats and yeah. Lady in the Tramp. Uh, apart from the fact that horribly racist, they're also evil as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just double barreled. Disney just going fucking full barreled for if we're going to get pulled up, we might as well just pulled up for everything. Mm. But yeah, it's it's difficult to see. Uh, I think my issue with it was bit uh, that I thought the film was. It's hard to then overlook the ending because I didn't find it that good as well, which is maybe the wrong way to look at it, where I'd maybe say, mm. all right, that part's, uh, the ending's really, really bad through a kind of 2023 lens, 
but you can see, I can see the value in the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to go back to what you were saying about Animal House earlier, you don't want to watch it back again because you think maybe if I watch it now, it, it's it's dated pretty badly. Yeah, I used to absolutely love this movie. Trading Places was one of my favorite yeah. comedy movies when I watched it when I was much younger. This is the first time I've watched it, and it's at least ten years. And to see that at the end, it's it's kind of like if it. Um, uh, you've not seen like an old friend you used to have, and then you find out that they, they've joined the BNP or something. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a bit shocking, really, as far as an ending. Because if you remove that, I don't think you. There's so many ways they could have played the joke like that, and it'd be timeless. Yes. Yeah. But having someone in blackface is always the wrong decision. Because the plan itself, it, it makes sense, you know. I mean, even if it does end up with sort of casual gorilla rape. <laughs> Um, which is a choice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he has a thing about men in gorilla zoom costumes. Um, John Landis, it's been a theme throughout yeah, his career. Yeah, Schlock was the first one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess he just likes gorilla yeah. costumes. Why not? But it's it's not aged well. It has its moments, I think, but it's that's really... It's the problem of any sort of uh, era looking back in comedy, really, isn't it? Yeah. Outside yeah. of sort of like sad comedy where it's sort of like Pratt Falls and, and, you know, slapstick. But, yeah, I mean, there's a movie from the 1960s where um, Peter Sellers dresses up as an Indian man and puts on the Indian yeah. accent called The Party. Yeah. Which, it, it was just throughout, like, sort of like modern history, these sort of... Uh, racially poor decisions. Um what was the name? Mickey Mickey Rooney, is it? He was famous for it. Uh sort of the, the classic Hollywood Chinese stereotype of straw hat and buck teeth. Oh yeah, yeah. Was it was it Mickey Rooney? Am I getting the right name there? I think I so. I think it yeah. is, yeah. It's just such a, it being it was a problem for a long time in Hollywood. So you could say, yes, this is bad, it doesn't need it. But at the same time, it was so endemic. Yeah. That I think Hollywood completely is just in the in the wrong there. Yeah, it's almost part of the Western culture at that point. Yeah. yeah. So we're not like pointing fingers too heavily at trading places, no. it's just sort of the general. No. Really ugly sort of way to do that sort of thing. The but, only I suppose the only yeah. thing that you can even say in its defence is that Eddie Murphy was fully aware that the blackface scene was going to happen and he was fine with it and he's still fine with it to this day. And apparently him and Dan Aykroyd are great friends and still are, you know, now in the 2020s. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> as, as a black man in that film saying, yeah, that's okay, you can do that. Have they got some sort of indication? I don't know. It's That's not my decision to make as a, a privileged white male, you know, yeah. but... There's got to be something in that that's happened. It's a it's a mud it it's slippy, isn't yeah. it? It's complicated. It's not a there's no simple answer to no. that really. But we, we sort of fixated on this a little bit. Is there anything else about um, trading places that you like to talk about before we move on to John Landis as a whole? Um, um, I just yeah, I just wasn't a massive fan. This is my first time watching it. Um, I'm. I'm going to stick with my Animal House argument. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've not watched in ages. I need to go and rewatch it now. But I just, yeah, I wasn't a mass. I just wasn't huge on it at all. Like, I, it's the kind of thing that you're saying, Rob, with the comedy aspect of his comedies. That 
again, it's watching this a forty-year-old movie. Um, it could be just the comedy for me doesn't land, and I didn't find any particular aspect of it hugely funny. Hmm. Um, it's more fun than well, fun, yeah, fun and funny. I think. Right. In a, in a yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. It was classed as being a comedy vehicle, I suppose, to try and make Eddie Murphy get into a comedy film. Um, but, you know, it, it's not the funniest film around. I don't think if... I'm just looking at the, the writers of it, you know. The writer of it wasn't a well-known writer. They didn't do films. This was only their second film they'd ever written. They, and since mm-hmm. then, you know, if you look at their filmography after this, it's like... Brewster's Millions, which again was based on a, t- a film from way back. Um, my stepmother's an alien. You know, twins, kindergarten cop. They got a bit better with their comedy, but they're not classics that they've ever made. You know, the writing in it is not good. And I think if the writing is not good, you can never get a good comedy film from it. And if your comedy writer is not someone who's nah. good at comedy writing, you're stuck. You can't rely on it- a persona like Eddie Murphy or Dan Aykroyd to sell a film as funny if they haven't got the lines, because both of them need the lines. Well, that's just Eddie Murphy's career that you've summed up perfectly, yeah. isn't it? When the script is bright, he was oh, electric. But, wow, he's in a lot of bad yeah. stuff. Yeah. A lot of bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he, his career was saved with Dolomite Is My Name, really, uh, wasn't yeah. it? And then he in- immediately pissed it down the sink again. <laughs> Some bad movies. <laughs> was he not in like Tower Heist or something? Or- oh yeah, yeah. He was in Coming to America too, and that uh, thing on Netflix with um, Jonah Hill about marrying a black woman. I don't know what oh, it's called. Yeah, um, I can't think what it's called either. You sort, of, you sort of skip it whenever it sort of lands on it on the sort of the bar. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jonah Hill. No, no, thank you. Yeah. I mean, his Eddie Murphy's big Probably career was with you. things like Beverly Hills Cop. That's what made oh, him yeah. famous. He, he was electric. That, that was where it worked well. That, yeah. But, you know, maybe that's because he's actually better as a serious actor because a lot of Beverly Hills Cop is him being serious. I like 48 Hours. He's quite serious in that as well. It has elements of gags in it, but it's the serious side that's actually the best bit of the film. Like Dolomite, he has a humility yeah. there. It's not just mugging in a camera and farcical it's there's a levity yeah. to it right. the um you people is what you're thinking of i think that's the one yeah it's out this year apparently there you go hmm um i've just seen tower heist was 2011 so that was before dolomite so uh for some reason i thought that was like the past five years there yeah. you go. it wasn't best, great eddie murphy's best role clearly donkey well it is <laughs> It kept his career alive for a long time. <laughs> did, did. Shrek 5 next year, that'll be the next one for him. Are they doing another one? Yeah. Yeah, uh, get those a couple of days ago. Oh. They set it up pretty heavily in the latest Puss Oh, uh, right, okay. That's meant to be great, I've never seen that. Stuff. Which, completely, well, it's kind of derailing off topic here, but yeah, the new uh, Puss and Boots is pretty, pretty I've good. I've not seen it, so... My kids are a bit older, so they're kind of like they're not the ninth wit. But one of the characters is the living embodiment of death, so I think you can sort of. That's always good. Yeah, it's fun. It's <laughs> it a bit more, more mature, and he goes through a midlife crisis. So uh, yeah, it looks like um, it looks animation style similar to 
Spider-Verse. Spider yeah. Uh, so, let's just wrap a bow on this one um, with this one question. I think it's fair to say that John Landis' career is over. Um, not through choice, maybe, just that's the way his career sort of finished out. If you were to sum his legacy up as a director, what would you say is? Oof, werewolf. <laughs> Just that one yeah. movie. Oh, see you next Wednesday. Because obviously it's there in every single film. By the way, in this one, Trading Place, we didn't mention it. It's a movie poster in Jamie Lee Curtis's flat. There you go. That's where you'll find See You wow. Next Wednesday in this one. <laughs> I had to mention it. <laughs> I mentioned it through the last episode. Just got to mention it again. Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, I, would, I probably agree with Gav. Yeah, it probably would be Werewolf. Um, I mean, again, looking through his. His uh, filmography, the last movie he directed was 2010, Burke and Hare, which um, I've never seen. I like Simon Pegg, but I've I've not heard good things about it. And then you're talking, he's barely done much, like nothing that you would certainly say would be on that level. No, I mean, it's his early career is where he really hit it. You know, there's some brilliant films in his early career where he he was getting big box office. Um, yeah. It is. It's the likes of, you know, Blues Brothers. Um, oh, Spies Like Us and Three Amigos, uh, Trading Places as well. He did Beverly Hills Cop 3, bizarrely. But, you know, yeah. they were the, the big moments in his career. And I don't think he's ever got back to them. As you say, if you look at his, his recent filmography, Burt Kinnear, by the way, is quite good. It's worthwhile watching. Right. Um, right. Okay. But, you know, Blues Brothers 2000, which a sequel to a brilliant film, is, is absolutely trash. Um, yeah. So I was, going, I was just having a look there thinking, like, is his last, what you would say maybe his last great movie, is it coming to America in 1988? Because after that, you're looking at something called Oscar. I've never... That Sylvester Stallone, Innocent sure, Blood. That's fair, yeah. Yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 3, Blues Brothers 2000, a lot of music videos, yeah. TV. Like you're looking at 30, 35 years since he's been really prime. And I mean, even for, like, you can talk about people like Carpenter and Craven for having a strong run, maybe in the 80s, and then I think with Wes Craven, maybe even in the 90s. But they've kind of picked up at some point after there, but it doesn't seem all understood. No. After that. Mm. Uh, he's, he's very, very hit and miss. He's yeah. never really come back to it. From You're probably right that Coming to America is probably that last big film because by Beverly Hills Cop 3, we're on The Law of Dimension Returns anyway. It's not the greatest of the the trilogy. Um, so, yeah. yeah. You know, he's he's got some great films in his back catalogue. If you look at his back catalogue, um, and there are there's some problematic areas as we've discussed, but I yeah. don't think he can come back and do anything else now because it's what was his last actual film he directed? Is that it Burke was, and Hare? Probably yeah. is Burke and yeah. Hare, isn't it? Which is 2010. It's been 13 years since he did anything really. Yeah. He's on that sort of uh, Jordante era of his career where he just sort of pops up as a talking head in sort of documentaries. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's a producer for his son. Uh, yeah. yeah. The directing things he's done with that, because, I mean, you're looking at, 
even after that, something called Franklin and Bash, he directed one episode, and then something called Superhero Kindergarten, he's directed 26 episodes, which is some animation TV show. Superhero Kindergarten, um, that, that sounds like just a classic bit of television, doesn't it? <laughs> Straight up. Yeah, 26 like, episodes, he's got a big stake if he's directing that many episodes. That's... 20, uh, 26 out of 27, <laughs> so oh, I wonder wow, why did yeah. he do that other one? It's got Arnie in it as Arnold Armstrong. It is. Uh, I've just had a look. It, it's a sequel to Kindergarten Cop, basically, except it's taken it to the oh. next level and made him a superhero now, not just a, a cop. Oh, no. But it's an animated sequel, Stan- effectively, to Kindergarten Cop. There you go. That sounds great, doesn't it? Stan Lee's. And Stan Lee's Stan name is at the start, yeah. which makes it even better. I mean, how much input does poor Stan Lee have into that? He's been dead three years by the time that came out. Yeah, he can't have had much to do with it, can he? <laughs> wow, yeah. okay. And that's a bummer of an ending, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. Boo! <laughs> uh, so uh, I think that's about us for this. It's a double episode on John Landis. Um, coming up next, it's a huge change of pace. <laughs> It's uh, Shinya Sukamoto, best known for Tetsuo the Iron Man. So I've not seen that yet. I'm not looking forward to watching it. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of it, but that's yeah, about that. I've heard of it as well, but yeah, no, I've never seen it. Here's a thing that'll put Downey Jr. on it. Oh no, no, no! Here's a thing that'll put off any sort of potentially bashful um, watchers. I saw it as a kid, and the reason I haven't seen it since is because it's got a drill penis bit in it. Is then a penis gets drilled or a penis? no? A penis is is a drill. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> don't we really yes. have a reference for that? To kind of... he turns into a metallic man and his drill, his penis, his penis becomes a drill, and he has relations with a woman. So there we go. What are we talking like a, a hefty drill bit or are we? I can't. Like, it's a, it's a he- it's a hefty one. <laughs> I haven't watched it back again, Andy. It's a hefty drill bit. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't got like a Black and Decker, you know, (laughs) magazine hand. Is it a masonry drill? Is it a wood drill? What type of drill is it? (laughs) Well, now you know for future reference and when you're recording that episode, you just get on a, what is it called? A tool station. (laughs) Then you can compare it, see if the guy's well endowed in terms of drill. Take a picture down a B&Q with you and just go, what type of drill is this? (laughs) <laughs> well, that would be an eventful <laughs> chat, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think you may get arrested. Possibly. Yeah. yeah, yeah sure. Well, I mean, I'm thinking of a lady tonight, and I wanted this drill, but fucking out my shop. And on that, <laughs> let's call an end to John Landis on Directors and Cut. <laughs> Gav, where can we find your stuff? You can that? find me at the My Favourite Film Podcast. Just go to www.myfavouritefilm.com and all my links and stuff are all there. Excellent. And Andy? Find me on Road to Nowhere podcast at Where Is Nowhere on Twitter and on Instagram. That's it. Check out those places and check out those pods. They're both very, very good. And uh, we'll see you next time with all those drill bits and me desperately trying not to think about it. Um, See you next time.